0: I'm sure that Paul, the Apostle, enjoyed writing Romans. Because when you look at the way that this book is laid out and how logical it is, you know that he had a lot of time putting this together. And that doesn't diminish the fact that it was the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Because many times when we're in situations where we are under pressure. We, want, we say, Lord, get this pressure off of me. But you know what? We human beings need that pressure. You know, when we talked last year about Genesis, and what was the first thing, one of the first things that Adam and Eve experienced after they sinned against God, disobeyed him? and eating that forbidden fruit. They were shamed. They hid. But then the curse that came did not come from God on Adam. It came to the earth. His work, his habitat, that is what suffered. And his groaning, Paul, we'll hear about that from Paul It's groaning for the redemption of the sons of men. Waiting for our redemption. The earth is. And that's what we brought on God's creation as mankind. And we see it heightening and heightening in intensity as we come close to the end of the age. And I think that's what we're experiencing worldwide. This is a global situation. And I don't think in the history of the Earth we've ever had a global connection. We didn't even know that America existed for centuries and multi-millennia. We didn't know it was there. And we didn't know in Europe that there was a China. And we didn't know that the world was round. We thought it was one flat pancake. So, The Lord is showing us, I believe, there are signs that he is coming soon. And we need to prepare our hearts. And that's why I believe that God is calling us to get into the book of Romans. Because Paul could understand and write it clearly for us in plain English. No, I guess he used Greek. We're in chapter 5 and uh, verses 6 to 11. But I wanted to have us just review some terminology uh, that Paul uses. We've spoken of grace, which Paul uses quite often throughout Romans. Grace is the unmerited favor of God toward man simple definition and we i think i shared it last week that there's an acronym that is uh, easy to understand this is in english by the way i don't think it works in japanese but grace is god's riches at christ's expense john 3:16 doesn't use that word, but it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's grace. That's God's riches at Christ's expense. God gave because he loved the world. He His only begotten son, don't leave that word out, begotten. Remember back in Genesis when we were talking about Abraham. Isaac was Abraham's only begotten son by Sarah. And so that was the son that God was looking for and had promised Abraham so that whosoever believes in him should not perish should not be damned, should not come to the ignominious place of hell and suffering. and we're going to learn something more about what happens to a person. That's not the worst thing that could happen in going to hell. And we have a terminology that a little bit we talked about a little bit last week, justification declaring a person to be just or righteous another word that we use in the court is he was acquitted of the accusation of murder or acquitted of having defrauded a company acquitted or justified there's a uh, another english definition, which I don't think we can really describe in Japanese either or any other language, but someone has come up with a definition of justification is, just as if I'd never sinned. Cute. Clever. But you know what? It has some hidden fallacy in it. Let me describe what the problems are. There's two of them specifically that I see. Okay, if you said, just as if I never sinned. Well, you have sinned. So, God doesn't reverse the effects of sin in our life. We can't return back to the state of Adam and Eve. In fact, that's not what justification is. Justification is that you sinned. And now you have been acquitted. It's not held against you. Another word that we've used is credited. But we never return to innocence. And God does not remove from us the memory of our sins. But it says that He cast our sins into the sea, and He remembers them no more. What does it say? He remembers them no more. Against us, we've been acquitted. Once you've been acquitted, you're acquitted. It's quit. It's done. And we can't say, well, I don't remember it. No, you do. And, you know, the enemy, with his minions around us, whispers in our ear and says, yeah, you're not a very good Christian. And you get into that state of mind. And then you come to the realization that Jesus Christ has borne all my sins and I'm free from them and I can walk free as though I had never sinned. But that does have a problem because we don't get rid of our innocence nor do we return to be just like Adam and Eve. Number two reason why just as if I'd never sinned is not good. We nor God can ever... Pretend that we have not sinned. I heard a pastor preach a whole sermon on this that we pretend and God pretends. What? No, he doesn't. God never pretends that you never sinned. I pretend that I never saw that. No, God does not pretend. We do not pretend. That is not the power of overcoming sin in our lives. God will never let us pretend. In fact, throughout eternity, we will never be able to pretend that we sinned and God forgave us. In fact, we will be reminded constantly, eternally, because the Lamb... That was slain is in the center on the throne. And we will be constantly reminded as if ugh I'm under the condemnation of sin in heaven for eternity. No, it's I'm free for eternity. And that will be the confession of our lives, our eternal lives, that He has set me free. And I am finally in a state in which I am better than Adam's first state because of the glory that comes to the Lamb sitting on the throne. Bless his name forever, eternally. His grace. Incredible grace. Well, I like to say instead of Just as if I'd never sinned just because of Jesus. I am just. I am righteous because of Jesus. That's our testimony. That's our place. And we can begin saying that and understanding that right now before we go to heaven. We can practice that. We can understand it in our daily lives just Because of Jesus. And so if the enemy is on your back or there's pressures that are facing you, just because of Jesus. Amen? Okay, then we have the word for the day. Reconciliation. Means restoration to favor from alienation. An alien. My card... Says that I'm an alien here in Japan. <laughs> Restoration to favor from alienation. I wish I was a Japanese. <laughs> I wouldn't feel so alienated to reconcile a broken relationship. See, th- this is a little bit different than I don't have a broken relationship with the Japanese, other than the fact that I wasn't born here or born of a Japanese father or mother. But as far as God is concerned and our relationship, We have a broken relationship with him. And that broken relationship needs to be reconciled. There needs to be a coming together. And that's what Marindra did last night. He understood. He was far away. And he even said that. I I feel like God is far away. And so after we prayed and we talked, he understood what the gospel is, what the good news is, that he's been brought near. And so he was able to stand right here, probably exact same spot here, saying to everybody that was there that he had prayed, confessed his sins. He was reconciled. Romans 5, one says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace, with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's reconciliation. Peace with God. Remember when the, the uh, angels came and the shepherds were out on the field? What was it that they declared? Peace on earth and goodwill toward men. That was God's peace pact. Unto you a son is born and the government will be on his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. 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 God makes that for us. That's reconciliation. We have peace. You know, in the offering I prayed that we're not offering appeasement to God. And you know, the one word that we really didn't put up on the screen much is a a word that we have borrowed from idol worship. And it was the word propitiation. Well, that was one of the reasons why I didn't put it up there. But another reason is propitiation actually means to appease the gods, to make them happy with us, to make an offering that they won't get angry at me. Well, yeah, that comes close to what we're talking about. But it's not us bringing that on our basis, but it's on his basis, and that is why he was so hard on Cain. Remember Cain in Genesis that we talked about last year? And many people say, well, why was God so hard on Cain when he blessed Abel? God was showing favoritism. Why was God showing favoritism? Because Abel brought what God had required and shown, which was an animal who was slain and I think it was a lamb, and that is what God clothed, Adam and Eve. And we have the kanji, gi, which shows the lamb up over me. Come on, folks, we can't get away from this. Sorry about that. I've only got one message. I thought You thought that I had a couple of years' worth in me. No, I've only got one message. Bless the Lord for that. He is our peace. Jesus is our peace through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, let's read this. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And then parenthetically, for rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might possibly die dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, because we have now been declared righteous by his blood, we will be saved through him from God's wrath. For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled, there was peace, to God through the death of his son. How much more, since we have been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? Talk about that later. Not only this, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. Okay, let's dig into this. Romans 5, 6 to 11. Point B. While we were still helpless. While we were still helpless. It says that actually God gave his son as a sacrifice before the founding of the world. So long before man even sinned, God had looked ahead and seen that we needed a Savior, that we were absolutely helpless. Now, you know, we we see and and, and understand that when God created man, he created him in his own image. And we bear that God-likeness in us as human beings by the nature of who we are, a triune being, body, soul, and spirit. We are like God in that way, but not God. But while we were still helpless, and Adam and Eve were helpless, they needed a Savior, and they didn't know it. And God had put one one stipulation on their lives. Do not eat from this tree, lest you die. And that has been the bane, the sorrow of man ever since. And we reap what we sow. And that is the condition that we have entered into as the human race. But God is not the kind of God who'll forget them and wipe them out. No, he is a God of mercy. He's a God of love. He's a God who cares about his creation. He loved Adam and Eve You remember my picture, God reaching down and forming Adam out of the dust of the earth, looking into this person and blowing into his nostrils the breath of life. And Adam became a living being. And what was the picture? What's in our image of Adam opening his eyes? What does he see? The face of God. He sees the face of God. Eye-to-eye contact with God. And not so long afterwards, at least in the text, a couple of chapters in Genesis, and Adam is hiding his eyes from God. For while we were still helpless, You know, God gets a real bad rap. We need to stick up for God. When natural disasters happen, did you feel the earthquake this morning? I was just putting the last little notes on my uh, sermon here. And uh, the earthquake started. And Katie said, honey, and I... Kept working. I didn't say anything. Honey? It went on. I think there was two shocks went through. What do we call natural disasters? Act of God. Kumamoto was an act of God. Why does he get the rap for it? Why does he, maybe you don't know what rap means. It means he gets assigned the crime or the Accusation, the blame, the act of God, an earthquake. That's what, it's just, uh, actually, that word is so that the insurance company can get off of having to pay you for your broken down house or your broken car. Or we even say this. When we avoid an accident of some kind or somebody else does, oh, you were lucky, So, I won the lottery? That's not the way things happen. You know, the world needs a Savior. We need someone because we are helpless. We're not only hopeless, we're helpless. And we need a Savior. We're looking for a Savior. That's what we're doing in the United States right now, by the way. When you look at the TV screen or the internet, just say, America is seeking a savior. And pray for us. Because we're looking in the wrong place. We really are. And Japan is too. You know, in the New Testament, when we start reading some of the stories in Matthew and Luke... And uh, Mark. There was evidences in the New Testament that something was, of that day, something was building in the known world, in the Roman world. Some kind of a feeling and sense was, something's going to happen. We have evidence of that in the New Testament some shepherds were out on the field just taking care of their sheep. And all of a sudden, angels announcing. And those shepherds knew where to find the babe. The only evidence they had was the swaddling clothes, the wrappings around this baby. And they knew exactly where that baby was. Come back here at Christmas and we'll talk about it again. (laughs) There was the visit of the wise men. Where did they go? To the seat of government. Where is this king that's to be born? I mean, if somebody went to the White House or down to the parliament buildings in Tokyo and said, where is this king that's supposed to be born? Don't you think it would hit the news? There was an anticipation, an expectation that something was coming. And so Paul writes, at the right time. I don't think it's an accident that he puts that in there. It was timed. It was exactly timed. Ironically, or maybe not ironically, coincidentally. No, not even coincidentally. By plan, what do we call this year, not, not in Japan, but what do we call in most of the parts of the world? What is the name of this year? 2016. 2016. The numbers are off a little bit, but it's after Jesus' death. It's counted from the time of Jesus till now. At the right time. And the clock started. Incredible. Nobody could have planned that. That wasn't planned. And here we are with 2016, counting off. It's been 2,000 and some years since Jesus came. We don't know exactly, but it is the right time. And then there was Simeon and Anna at the temple. The temple was mobbed with people coming to this Passover, and these two people in particular, recognized, were moved to pick out this baby to be dedicated in the temple. And then John the Baptist came at the right time. There was one who comes after me, John the Baptist says. And then the disciples who heard about Jesus, Philip found Nathanael and said, we found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. So there was an expectation. It was the right time. Paul writes in Galatians 4.4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman at the right time. I believe that the God who created time knows best the time to act on our behalf. And time is in his hand. And you know what? When the disciples are saying, when is your kingdom coming? When are you coming? And Jesus says, not even the, the son, only the father knows what time the son will return. So even the end of the world, the, the coming of Christ, we don't know. And anybody that tells you the exact time, they're a fraud. Because God only knows when that will be. But we need to be ready. 400 years, the Jews did not have anything coming from their God, of a voice, from a prophet, or from someone talking about their condition or their need. They were under the oppression of a Roman government. Much more so than even they experienced in Egypt. I understand. For 400 years, there's a blank. We should have some empty pages between the Old and the New Testament. We should have at least, I would say, two or three or 50 pages in here that, that are just blank. Because God did not speak after Malachi. Malachi. And what did he say at the end of Malachi? Katie, you, this is your insight. So you give it very loud and clear. What did he say in Malachi? It's chapter 1, verse 10. And he said, I am not pleased with you. And the very first time his voice was heard again, he said, This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. They should have heard, I am not pleased with you. And then nothing for 400 years. America is only 200 and some years old. For 400 years, nothing. And the next thing they hear, I am pleased with my son. Listen to him at the right time. Timing is everything. The Roman Empire had interconnected that ancient world with a road system that we can still find in Europe and Middle East. Aqueducts with water that flow this way and that way. Modernization, that was the modern world. The Roman world, it was the right time. The language, the Greek language that they had stolen from the Greeks, the Romans had, and made it a worldwide language. There was dictatorship, oppressive dictatorship that caused the Jews to languish under this heavy hand. I believe it was even worse than, than the Babylonian captivity. Here they were in their own land with a temple that an ungodly king had made for them, and they weren't free. They weren't a free people at the right time. And the Romans didn't invent the cross. Some people think that it was the Persians. But the Romans perfected it as an execution device an instrument of execution. Now here's where my message gets a little hard to to take. The cross is an execution system. And my wife's got several crosses. One? One. One cross, okay. It's silver. It looks very nice on her around her neck. Can you imagine Katie coming with an electric chair hanging on her neck. Why do we worship the cross? The cross is an execution device. We put it up in the front of our churches. Why? That seems to be an oxymoron or a conflict of, of definition. The cross is not something beautiful. It is ugly. It is ugly. You know that cross that Jesus died on was not a special cross. It wasn't just made for the king of kings or the king of the Jews. Many, many men's blood was on that wood. It stunk. It was ugly. We don't worship the cross. But but God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were sinners, not just helpless, but we were sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates. In the United States, and probably in Japan, they don't kill somebody right in the center of the Ginza, They don't execute them there, do they? We don't do that in America either. We don't like the cross. We don't like execution. But the Romans loved it. They loved it. It meant they had power over the people. It meant that they could rule with a heavy iron hand over the people. And there wouldn't be insurrectionists that would question Rome. That's what the cross was all about. An ugly instrument. But yet, the Bible talks about the cross. And we need the cross in our preaching. He demonstrated that he loved us by sending his son and his son taking the penalty for us in dying on that ugly instrument. That was God's demonstration. It wasn't Rome's. God upstaged the Romans. And in fact, the Romans really didn't want to execute him anyway. Pilate was just very glad if, no, I don't find anything in in him. And his wife warned him, and he didn't take the warning. I, I take the warning from Katie once in a while, but Pilate was probably a lot like me. But he washed his hands. He thought maybe he'd get rid of the guilt of this. But Jesus was crucified. That's what they called for. Crucify him, crucify him. God displayed his own love for us by having his beloved son hung on a Roman cross. Jesus told Nicodemus three years previous, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That's in Numbers and also in Isaiah talking about a cross. So it wasn't really even the Persians that created or understood the cross. Moses did as well, or God did instructing him to lift up a standard. Not just a pole, But it was a standard with a brazen serpent. And he became sin for us. He didn't know sin. He became sin for us. That we might become the righteousness, the gi of God. That was the plan at the right time he demonstrates his own love while we were sinners Christ died for us and then Paul goes on to say if there's anything more to add Paul has always has something to add it seems he says much more than that demonstration of the cross because we have now been declared righteous by his blood so the transfer from the instrument of death was that we become righteous by his blood. We we should have been there. We should have been the one that t- took the hit the, the death penalty. But we have now been declared, credited, made righteous by his blood. We're acquitted. He paid my debt. He paid your debt. He paid the debt of everyone that has ever been born, everyone that lives on the earth today. He paid the debt for their sin, our sin. That's why it's much more than. And then we will be saved through him, from God's wrath. That is an incredible concept, that God who hates sin, and he would say that there must be shedding of blood for the removal, for the forgiveness of sin. God says, what I created, this beautiful thing of life, You have taken it, and someone, something, must die for the eradication of our sin. God's love is tempered by his holiness. He is a God of wrath. God hates sin. That is why God killed those animals and clothed Adam and Eve, because of his holiness, it was his holiness that we couldn't come close, near to God in his presence because he's too holy. And Jesus, the Lamb of God, takes away the sin of the world. John three thirty-six says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. Wow. Wow. I like that song, In Christ Alone. I love the lines that says, The wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. The wrath of God on him. Imagine that. God in his wrath. And Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There had never been a separation between the Father and the Son. And now there is because he became sin. And God could not look on that. And he turned his back. And darkness fell on the earth. It's described intricately in the New Testament. The wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. God Himself turned away from His only begotten Son. Then Paul goes on to say, much more than, for while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Paul is just hammering this, hammering this point, and doesn't want us to forget this. And I don't want you to forget this either. He's just coming at it, coming at it. Paul, give up. Tell me about the love of God. That was demonstrated. It is the love of God that he would die for my sin and yours. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. James 2:23 says, And Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called, what? Friend of God. He was a friend of God. He wasn't an enemy. He was a friend of God. Are you an enemy? I hope not, if you are you can become a friend of God. Today, just like Marindra yesterday, it's so simple but so deep and so profound. Just by saying, Father, receive me in the name of your Son who died for me and carried my sins away. And died for my sins. Forgive me. I want to be your follower. I want to be a friend. Receive me. Simple as that. If we confess with our mouth. And believe in our heart. That God raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. A simple. Simple. Formula. Not a formula. It's a. Declaration of independence of us from our sins. We can claim friendship through Jesus Christ. Are you a friend of God? You know you're a friend of God? Rejoice in it. Hold it dear in your heart. Paul says, we beg you on the behalf of Christ be reconciled to God. Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel of Christ, Paul said. He is worthy of our praise. Why? Because he gives, spoils us with all kinds of good things? No. Not on your life. But he loves us by demonstrating his love through the death of his Son. And so, much more than, he says it again right at the end of his points, how much more, since we have been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? And it's the resurrection life of Jesus Christ that we live in today. We look back at the cross, but we look back at also his resurrection. And the resurrection should be more celebrated than Christmas because that is where, in uh, American jargon, that's where the rubber meets the road because with Jesus Christ being raised from the dead, we have been justified. We have been put on a place of we are special in receiving the resurrected Christ and understanding that he's living in me now by the Holy Spirit. And I walk in his word, and that becomes my daily bread. That becomes my life. That's who we are as Christians. And then finally he says in verse 11, not only this, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have been brought close to God. We're friends of God. We've been, as we said last week, we have access to God. It doesn't matter where you are. You have instant access to God because you're a friend of God, because you've been reconciled. You've been brought into his family. And you live because he lives through whom we have now received this reconciliation."